there are three things that you can do with money. You can spend it. So we talk to Suffolk entrepreneurs and business leaders. Uh, you can save it. So we speak with financial experts, and financial advisors, or you can give it away. So we speak with community groups and charities. And it's that third uh, aspect that we're addressing today. And we speak to a fascinating organisation uh, within the county, the Gatehouse Charity, who are based in Bury St Edmunds. And we're going to be speaking with its chief executive, which is Amanda Bloomfield, about uh, the work that they do, how Amanda became involved, and how they're always looking out for ways in which they can assist uh, at different aspects of the community, but also find ways in which they can join up with other community groups and charitable causes in the locality to try and broaden what they're able to deliver. So this is Amanda Bloomfield, Chief Executive of the Gatehouse Charity in Bury St Edmunds. So the building where Gatehouse um, works from is in Bury St Edmunds and it's on the western side of town. We carry out all of our projects from this building and those projects help people sort of far and wide really so mainly in Bury St Edmunds but we also cover um, parts of West Suffolk we because of the the way that the county is we sometimes go into Cambridgeshire Norfolk and also Essex but mainly focusing in Bury St Edmunds and the West Suffolk and surrounding villages around that area. When did it start? How did it start? What, why did it start, I suppose? So the charity started in 1986. It was formed by Sister Helena, who saw a need in the town for people who were first starting out in their properties or were, were needing help um, with secondhand furniture. And that's really how it started. It was originally called St. Louis Family Service because um, it was based in the St. Louis um, building um, and uh, it, it, as it developed we, it changed to Gatehouse because it ran from the Gatehouse building in the St. Louis school so that's how, how it became Gatehouse really. And you say initially it was really just trying to assist those who perhaps were starting out with their first property or and furniture was a big issue? Yeah back in the beginning it was uh, furniture that she found people were asking for bits of furniture when they were starting up their homes and it was people maybe coming out of um, supported living or fleeing domestic violence coming out of prison etc and that still very much continues to this day that being a big focus mm. for us on to furniture but of course as time has developed over time we've done various different um, services for, for people in the area and mainly that's by noticing the need in the community or being approached by um, official people in the community that come to us and say oh it'd be really good if this service was available in Bury or really good if we could get this kind of help in Mildenhall and we look at whether we can provide that service and how we would go about it and if possible we meet that need so lots of different services have gone through the time you know we did um unmarried mothers groups, we did uh, mother and toddler groups, we've done um, different day centres for the elderly in Mildenhall and in Bury. Um, we've taken elderly people on holidays at one point, 
um, you know, lots of um, educational programs for un unmarried mothers to give them IT skills when it was sort of first, you know, really moving into the computer age kind of thing. Um, and of course, those services over time are no longer needed because it's, you know, it's just the way the world is. And we all know how to use a computer now pretty much. Um, and, you know, and those services are not either not needed or other organisations, maybe government um, schemes come out and those organisations provide the service. So rather than duplicate it, at that point, we then move away and sort of show our um, support elsewhere where it's more needed. That's a, that's a really interesting point that you haven't just established one particular aspect that you focused on and have always stuck by it. It sounds from our conversation that we had just before recording this that, that one of the key things for you is listening for where there is a need, trying to assist with that. And then if someone else can take it on, you're happy to give it up. Yeah, that's right. It's really, um, you know, one of the main things that we do here and, and something I'm really passionate about is listening to those people on the ground that need the help, listening to what it is that could help them rather than just firefighting, looking at their whole background and what needs to be put in place to enable them to, to, to overcome their issues. And also we, we've got quite a really good community in Berry and lots of small charities and we all work together. It's, there's no competition out there. You know, it, for all of us, it's helping those in need and the clients really are the focus. So it's not a competition between us. It's about working together to find the best way to provide a service and provide that service seven days a week if possible. Obviously not one charity doing all seven, but each of us doing different days. Or, you know, we can solve this part of the puzzle, but someone else will solve the other part of the puzzle. And, and that really networking and, and making the best use of the limited resources that we all have. That's quite a refreshing thing to hear at times because I think um, sometimes there's a, a desire to mark out a territory and say that's you know that's your area of expertise and you're not going to change and nobody else is going to help with it. So what what are the um, what what areas are you trying to address at the moment? What aspect of need in the community are you working with? Yeah, I mean obviously at the moment it is the cost of living crisis is really um, affecting people. I think when when you look at Paris and Evans, you think it's a really affluent area and you know Suffolk is beautiful and it's lovely, but unfortunately there are real pockets of deprivation, you know, even in this town. And it, it's and it's going to those communities, making gatehouse a safe place for people to feel comfortable to come and talk to us and find out exactly what is the problem. Um, obviously food banks, you know, they're everywhere at the moment and the cost of food is astronomical. People are needing to use that, but it's looking at the root cause of why they're needing to use them and what it is that we could maybe work with people to do. Um, one of the things, the schemes that we've, we've had um, was the local welfare assistance, which helped with appliances. Um, and between April and September, we actually provided over 100 cookers to people who had nowhere to cook food. And unfortunately, the funding for that has now been, been pulled and we, we can't provide that. But it's something 
that you really need to look at with the food bank. Sometimes people are very keen to give healthy food, you know, vegetables, fruit, etc. But there's no point giving somebody a raw potato who has no means of cooking it. You know, so mm. a tin of potatoes that they will open up and eat raw, you know, without reheating them again, um, is much better because it's already cooked. You know, you can't eat a raw mm. potato. Yes, you can eat a raw carrot, but, you know, most vegetables mm. have to be cooked. So it's, it's looking mm. at how we get round that. And I know... Um, the Rural Coffee Caravan did a, a project mm -hmm. last year, and I think we're doing it again this year, of providing slow cookers for people. Yeah. And if you've got no yep. cooking facilities at all, then that's a great little thing that, that can help you at least make some kind of cooking. But I think, you know, just throwing supermarket vouchers at people or, or lots and lots of food at people isn't the answer. And what we've all got to do is look at the background, look at what the real issues are that are causing those problems and tailor our services to meet that need um, so that we you know, can afford. But yeah, obviously the cost of living crisis. We're also um, distributing some funds towards helping with utility bills, because as we all know, cost of gas and electric, petrol, et cetera, have, have skyrocketed um you know and and it's not just people on benefits that are suffering it's everybody in the uk that's suffering um people that go to work people who've never had debt before in their life are now really struggling and those people sometimes are the hardest to reach because actually they don't know we're here why would they know we're here you know they've never had to use this kind of service before and it's learning how to get to those people who also have a massive pride issue with using charities and food banks and it's breaking down those barriers and um saying you know don't feel ashamed every you know it's all over the news it's on the telly everybody has the problem with it at the moment you know all of your neighbors are the same and it's making people feel comfortable in their community um, to accept that times are really hard and you know nobody's got a magic wand that's going to stop that being hard but we can make life a little bit easier for you and one of the ways that we've we've broken down that pride barrier is as well as the food bank that we run giving out free food through a referral process we also run a social supermarket and I think you're going to see more of those popping up where yeah, that, yeah that's, an, that's an interesting concept. Can, can you just explain that a bit more? That yeah, so really the, helpful. Yeah. So the social supermarket is where there's various of doing it. You either pay a membership fee or you pay an entrance fee every time you come into the supermarket, um, which I've seen some people doing. Or as we do, we just price food cheaper than supermarket prices are. Um, and it can there's various different ways that we get hold of this food um, and there is an awful lot of food waste in this country you know if um, if a pallet's left out in the rain and that affects the wrapping on the tins because it'll all you know brittle off or whatever that entire pallet will be thrown away so rather than doing that companies are now giving it to people like us food banks which we can then sell on to people because actually there's nothing wrong with the product it just doesn't look very nice on the outside. So um, 
you know, and, and they might overorder in the supermarket. Well, they can't possibly distribute that before the best before date. So they'll pass it on to people like us. We have a close working relationship with Ms. Ken in the, in the town who provide um, things like pasta sauces, um, Branston pickle is what they're most famous for, pickled onions, you know, sauce, ketchup. And again, you know, their production line will always have waste products that's, you know, produced, <laughs> but actually nobody's buying it. So again, they'll, they'll pass that on to us. So I think big businesses are realizing that actually waste is not a good thing um, and that they need to do something with it. So that's coming through to the food banks, which is great. But also I think the way that we're doing it with the social supermarkets makes it more inclusive for people. And they, they feel that they're paying for it anyway, so it's not a problem. Um, yeah, that's, that's a nice concept. Um, uh, how can someone access that? So perhaps if someone's listening to this and they're thinking... Oh, yeah, well, we, we run the shop three days a week. That. Yeah, so, so Tuesday, Thursdays and Saturdays, the shop is open and it's just, it's run from our warehouse and you just come in as if you would in a normal shop. So nobody asks you any questions. Um, we do have limits on how much you can have. So you can't come in and buy 10 boxes of cereals. You know, there's a there is a limit to it. But um, yeah, it's just open to everybody. And I think that has really helped in the last few years. Um, particularly, you know, it started with the pandemic. People had never been in that situation before. And it just opened the door to more people accessing our services and feeling comfortable about accessing them. And what's good about that is that not everybody that comes here is in an immediate crisis situation. Mm. They're coming and getting the support early on, which stops those really bad situations, which we, we can deal with, we're used to dealing with that, but it's always best to try and get help in first because once you hit rock mm. bottom and get into that crisis cycle, it's very difficult to get out of. Um, you know, we do deal with homeless people, um, you know, we have a, a charity in town that also um, deals with them, very drop him. And we communicate together. And, you know, like I said earlier, all of us organisations will work together with clients. But, but once you do reach that real rock bottom, it's very hard to get out of that situation. Um, you know, I, I'm sure we've heard before, you know, if you haven't got a job, you've got no money. And if you haven't got a bank account, you've got to have a house to get a bank account because you need an address. You need an address to get a job, so you can't get a job because you're homeless. So it's all, you know, it's that vicious circle that once you're you're you've dropped out, it's hard to get back into the circle again. So it's always good to, you know, access services as early as possible. Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Was the pandemic a complete game changer on this, or or did it all start earlier than that in the? financial crisis or, yeah or, I mean like how, I say it's all been affected yeah it's been um I mean food poverty has been a problem for some time now um and and has been building up in the in the UK to become where it is today really um you know we've been running our food bank for 10 years now and um we've previous to that we used to do it just at Christmas Christmas hampers we've been doing uh, and that's been running ever since the charity started. So there's always been a problem with food poverty. Um, I think now it has just escalated um, to become more of a crisis. 
And yeah, with the pandemic, obviously that was a game changer for everybody. Um, and not just in the UK, across the world, that was a game changer. Nobody really knew what to do, how it would affect us. And, and lots of people, yes, there was the fellow scheme, but lots of people didn't have employment coming in. You know, mm. if you were on a zero hours contract or you were casual workers, there was no furlough. And, you know, and at, at the beginning, a lot of people lost their jobs, you know, just because businesses didn't know how to handle it, really. Um, so that saw a lot of people coming in. And then we had people, you know, um, panic buying in supermarkets. So that reduced the amount of food that was available and supermarkets weren't able to keep up with demand. So that made food an issue. So I think, you know, there was lots of different things going on there. Um, being a, an essential service like we are, we remained open the whole way through the pandemic, which was lovely. Um, you know, we had to change the way we worked, obviously, to ensure everyone was safe. But it did mean that those communication lines were kept open. And most importantly, a face to face communication line was kept open um, for people who really were extremely vulnerable. Um, you know, it, everyone was affected. But I think if you can imagine that, you, you know, you don't have much at all in the first place and also loneliness you know some of the clients that we deal with uh, you know they're in the 90s they live on their own it might be their children have already died you know they've outlived them they don't have family members most of their friends will have died they literally live entirely on their own so for shops to be shut where they might go and get their daily newspaper and speak to someone um, you know that that was taken away from them. So, and a, and a lot of elderly people that we deal with have, um, you know, cognitive in issues and, and mental health issues. And, you know, people who maybe survive um, as, as um, functioning alcoholics or drug addicts, et cetera, they may not have understood, you know, nobody really understood the pandemic, but if you had a, a mental health illness, mm -hmm. You really didn't understand what was going on. You know, that that all escalated and, and made all of these issues so much more uh, powerful to you and, and debilitating. So by remaining open, we were able to try and keep those people as level as possible. And were you able to do anything more than um, maintain the services that you had? Or were there any new arrangements that you put together? Yeah, we put no arrangements. Time? Together, we um, once the vaccine came in place, we um, spoke with the local GP and um, we were able to um, collect up the, ho the homeless people and the people in temporary accommodation who and, and to get them vaccinated totally separately, um, you know, and, and they were lovely, you know, and really thankful that we'd done that because they knew they were at risk. They knew they were a risk to other people because of the way they lived. You know, they live in houses of multiple application. So there are a lot of people living in one house, a lot of people mixing. You know, it was it was a situation where nobody was allowed to be on the streets. So people were put into accommodation in hotels. So the local hotel obviously couldn't have guests because it was closed. But it was it was uh, filled with people who didn't have their own accommodation. Um, 
you had a real mix of people within those buildings, which actually made it a lot more uh, dangerous regarding transmission of COVID than you would normally have in a household. So they knew that they were a problem to other people. They knew that they were a problem to themselves and they really came forward and got those vaccinations, which was, was brilliant. Um, so that's one service we provided. We worked very much with NHS, NHS outreach by going to these properties with food, checking that their health was okay, um, and going in and just making that sure that they were safe really. Um, so that was a new service we took on. And also, you know, um, this new service of, of delivering grants financially, because we hadn't previously given financial help. And although we haven't and never will give cash to people, um, we were able to pay bills for them um, on their behalf. And also helping people who were struggling to get to jobs or get, or get around or get employment, we provided some bicycles. So we were able to purchase those bicycles to enable them to continue working if they didn't want to go on the bus or on the train or you know, into those high um, used areas. So that was a, a new service we got. So yeah, we, and again, because we're a small independent charity um, and I answer to a board of trustees, obviously, I am able to make those quick decisions. I've not got to go through lots of red tape to, to change what we did. Were there uh, or have there been arrangements where you've set up to address a need and perhaps understood that there's others who are, are fulfilling that and then maybe pass the, the baton on to them? Or is there something where you've been working in collaboration with somebody else and felt actually now our time has come to move away from that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we, we've had services where uh, we used to run a, an elderly day service in Milton Hall. Um, and we, we, we ran that on a weekly basis and a large um, organisation built a care home next door to where we were running um, our day service and, and they had a day service um, included within their package. So um, it, it was pointless us running a day service when they were going to build this brand new facility purposely built, you know, with, with all the staff, etc. So when they moved into the area, they spoke to us about what they were doing. And we said, yeah, we'll work in partnership with you. We'll, we'll help our clients move over to your service. We'll stay with you so that they feel comfortable. So our volunteers worked alongside them for a period of time. Um, and then eventually we moved away and, and then they've continued to run the service. So, so that worked really well in, in having that transition period. And, you know, very similarly, um, the there's a rickshaw project in the town um so they they built they've obtained these rickshaws they they go out they um take people on rides around the town who are socially isolated um, so we worked with them from the very beginning you know they were new to setting up a charity so i call on my experience of, of the charity commission and how you put all your policies and you know that the admin side in place so that they pulled on that and and it you know, and I also help them with finding out where vulnerable people are. Where do you find the people that would want these rides? You know, they they knew it was a service that would be really good, but actually, what do you do? And and again, during the pandemic, obviously they couldn't take people out on rides. Um, but what they did was they delivered food for us. So they used it as a cargo um, bike, and they were delivering food packages. 
and uh, if they went, if they were called up independently for that, because they were also collecting um, prescriptions from chemists and taking them out to people. So when they went out, if they went to a property and thought, actually, this person really needs help, you know, they are in a, a bad situation, they would contact me and I'd have those contacts to make a safeguarding issue. We'd make sure someone went round there, found out what the problem was. You know, so it's all about that communication line and making sure the clients are safe. Um, and that someone is providing a service. But yeah, that's just a couple of examples of how, um, you know, we've provided that. We work with the Berry Drop-In um, Centre who their primary focus is homeless. Um, you know, as, as I've said, we sometimes deal with homeless, but, you know, a homeless person doesn't need a sofa. <laughs> they don't need furniture, but, you know, they, they may need food. Again, they've got no way to cook that food. So it's very limited what we can offer but the berry drop-in um you know work very closely with them and they provide hot meals so again if we've got a food bank client that you know isn't able to have a hot meal we can refer them to, to berry drop-in and and they've mm. sort of taken that service on and and that's that's like you say that's their speciality is providing the cooked food um you know the ritual speciality is riding the bikes so it's, it's portioning out what your experience is, what's your speciality, what do you do best, but we'll work together and we'll pull away from those services that aren't our main focus. Yeah, that's lovely that you've got this collaborative approach. And I guess you're mm. always keeping your ear to the ground for any new uh, activities that are springing up or any new solutions that are around yeah. in the area so that you can either work with or refer people to those. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if, if local people have got an idea that they want to start something or if they're already doing it, you know, in their own sort of backyard kind of thing and they want experience of how to make it more official like I say with the ritual you know how how do you start a charity how do I get a bank account how do I do this I'm always here to talk to people you know I'm I'm more than happy for people to come along and and use my experience really to do that because it you know that's a that's a big part of my job as well helping people to make their own um groups make their own peer support and you know that's really important that it's often if you're being helped you want to be helped by somebody you know or somebody that's in the same situation as you you know because if if someone else came along and that had absolutely no idea what your experience is it's very hard to accept help from them because you think well they don't know so you know it is yeah. about building those peer groups um to to understand that so how did you get involved with everything then, Amanda? Because it sounds as though you're pulling all these pieces of the puzzle together. But um, yeah, what, what was your background? How did you get involved? Yeah, I mean, my, my original working background was very different. Um, I guess I've always had a caring history. Both my parents worked in mental health care. Um, so growing up as a child, um, I spent a lot of time at the local uh, old people's home. So that's where my mum worked. So, you know, after school, that's where I was. And then they both, both my parents worked um, at the local mental asylum, as it was called in our village. Um, and we, we did live um, sort of 
near enough on site there. So I've got that experience from my childhood. And then when I left school, became very independent and I worked in big corporate companies actually, um, worked my way through, through them and into management. So I've got lots of um, experience of the business world as well as the caring world. Um, and eventually I, I took voluntary redundancy from one of these big companies that I worked at and went into um, looking at charitable third sector work. And um, I, I worked over at Adam Brooks with their, their cancer charity. I then worked down at the seaside for a, a children's home, um, did a little bit of that. And then um, the, the advert came up for the manager at Gatehouse and I thought, oh, I Oh, I fancy that and they were looking for somebody that had got more of a business head on them than charity at the time you know they 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 had a really good charity but they needed to put things in place and make it a bit more structured they wanted somebody with technical knowledge when when I joined they had no um, they didn't have a website they didn't even have a till in the in the store you know they just handed cash over and and everything was wrote in very large books or something is that right? yeah. you know the, the paperless office was not something they considered you know it was it was very much of the time i guess mm, absolutely and, uh, you know and and as i say the charity has changed generally since i've been here you know um, getting things computerized and and um, putting policies and procedures in place and you know very much a charity has to create a lot of reports for the charity commission you know we we have to be um very open about what we do and and the public are able to go on and look at exactly what our accounts are and you know and and so it's very much about that kind of thing but i am also very hands-on with delivering the service as well. And I think because I've got that background of the business and the caring, I'm able to juggle that quite well um, without blowing my own trumpet. Um, so yeah, that's that's the, the kind of thing I do. And, and I am very, um, I'm very open about what I do. I, I'm quite assertive in saying what I think should be happening out there in, in the community as well um and and can see both sides of the coin i think that's something that um as the ceo of, of a charity like ours you have to be able to see both sides of a situation um and and also be able to put that very much the, the people we deal with the most vulnerable don't get heard and um and i sort of take that on and, and when i'm dealing with government offices or philanthropists I'm there to give the view and the voice of those most vulnerable who would never have the opportunity to speak to those people um, and, and try and explain their reality to the reality of the people that fund the charities you know they're they're lovely people when you speak to them you know they they have an understanding that there's problems out there in the world and they want to help but with the best will in the world it's not their reality they don't understand so i'm here to give that reality and to, to get that across in a way that they can understand that, that leads us on to a really important aspect i'm sure of your role which is bringing in income 
I yes. mean, how, how does that manifest itself? And you, you mentioned philanthropy, you mentioned you know, local government, government. How, how, do you, uh, how do you fund the services that you provide? Yeah, I, funding for everybody, I guess, um, is, is a daily challenge, really. Um, the, the Gatehouse charity at the moment needs around about 350,000 a year to provide the services we're currently providing. And we get that through a mixture of ways. Um, it's, a, it's going through hoops to get funding from local central government, um, which is where we have to provide lots of reports. You have to be totally transparent as to how that money is spent once you've got it. You've got a lot of restrictions on what you can spend it on. Um, so we have that, but it's, it's also building networks with local businesses and um, local organisations and going out to them, talking about what we do um, and then letting them come and see what we do as well. And then they'll raise money for us. So it's getting fundraising in that way. And we're really lucky here in Berry. well, I feel we are, that there are a lot in the community that will give. And if I put an appeal out in, in the local press, for example, um, nine times out of 10, I'll get a response back with people donating money or food or, uh, you know, for whatever I've asked for, I usually get that in from somewhere. Um, but it's, it's very much, there's not, it's not just one line of how we get the funding. It's about using all those different avenues, um, being a bit innovative about how you get those. Um, I, I had a fantastic experience this week with um, Power Networks came. Um, they have a big office in the town, um, UK Power Networks, I guess it's a call centre or something. And um, they came and helped me with my Christmas hampers um, this week and totally different job for them you know I'd got them wrapping boxes filling up tins um, and they did an amazing amount of work you know 17 of them came for the day um, spent it with me did all of this work for me and and they said you know never realized this was here didn't realize this is what we do didn't realize there were people in the town that needed these services for them it was an education of what we actually do and an experience in something outside of their comfort zone but they re really enjoyed it and they'll go off now and do some fundraising for me so yeah. it's about spending that bit of time with people and showing them what life can be like um to you know and then they get the empathy with it and they understand it if you're always just asking for money people get a bit sick of that really. But if they actually come here and experience an activity like that and, and giving hours, you know, rather than giving money, that's a huge cost that goes unnoticed in third sector. You know, someone's mm. hourly rate, of, you know, 17 people is a cost I could never afford, but they come and they do that and it, it really makes a difference. So. It's lots of different ways that the funding comes in, really, and ways that you wouldn't necessarily look at as being funding. Yeah, and, and as you say, if people can give time, and, and that sounds like one of those lovely, almost team building uh, yeah. exercises, 
that that you know a small business or even a larger business like the one you've just referred to can really get some benefit from but most importantly it helps you yeah yeah and that you know the benefits for them like you say the the team building benefits they may never have spoken to each other they might sit in an office of 150 people and actually they didn't realize joe worked in two desks down they've sat there for three years never noticed her but by doing this kind of activity they've got you know that understanding of each other so yeah it can work really well so are there aspects or, or sorry most importantly are there needs that you see around you that you feel you could have some bearing on if you had additional support yeah i mean the, the biggest need at the moment um which is not met here and and probably across suffolk really is um the financial advice and budgeting um you know we're all very good at firefighting um particularly with the cost of living at the moment we're all very good at at throwing food at people paying off bills you know giving slow cookers etc but the root cause of some of it is that people don't know how to budget their money or maybe they're entitled to benefits but they have no way of knowing how to access them and unfortunately you've got citizens advice bureau who are totally overrun you've got mm. christians against poverty and there's a, a charity called reach in haverhill that i use but all of those organizations have got massive waiting lists they cannot keep up with demand um so you know that's probably where we're looking at going next how we can maybe offer a little bit of signposting um help people filling in forms etc um but we would need a lot of funding to do that uh, you know you're talking about 10 extra staff um and a, and a facility to, to provide that you know these other charities have got people sitting there all day every day um providing that information but i think that is something that that needs to be looked at and as i was saying earlier you know it's it's not just looking at firefighting those first initial i need something to eat when you give someone a shopping voucher what do they spend it on if you mm -hmm. give them fresh fruit and vegetables how are they going to cook them you know have they got facilities to cook that um, one of the things that's always been a bugbear for me and, and there has really been no solution is somebody is given a property so they're given a property by a housing association or the council and it's just an empty shell you know we we had a, an experience here which i will never forget the guy he was living in um during the pandemic he was living in a in a pod basically a, a, Pod, as they called them so the homeless people got put into them you know he eventually got given a property fantastic he was given that property on 24th of december he came from a pod that had got a bed it got a wardrobe it got a microwave it had got heating it had got lighting he was given a property with nothing on christmas eve there were no organizations around to help him he emailed me because we'd been in correspondence before and said I, I, I've got nothing can you help and I agreed to meet him on the 27th of December but for three days he sat in that house with nothing over Christmas while we were all enjoying lovely Christmas 
you know occasions this, this poor guy had nothing at all um and and we provided the bed and, and cooker etc and, and brought him some food but a lot of people in that situation would have gone straight back on the street because yeah. why would you stay in a house that's got nothing in it when you could be on the street and then be put in a you know it's keeping them out of that circle really and that happens a lot an awful lot of time that happens you you help these people you get them back on a footing you think yeah yeah great give them accommodation but they have no idea how to pay bills they have no idea how to look after themselves and you're just shoving them out there to fail really so it's you know how do you help those people what can be put in place to give that ongoing support and uh, and i think a lot a lot of that is is educating people with the understanding that that happens because i think it's a it's a black hole that people don't appreciate because you know a lot of people will say well they were given a house what more do they want mm. well actually what, what use is a house to somebody you know, and, unless you've got a way of maintaining that and and a way of, of living in it, you know, it's it's not always the best way. And that's, you know, very same with the criminal system. You know, often you'll find people are in and out of, of jail permanently because actually they're better off in there than they are out. You know, they for the, in their mind, you know, the way of getting off the street and away from, um, you know, whoever may be, helping them with their drug and alcohol addiction the way of getting away from that is commit a crime and go to prison you know mm. and that, that's something that the justice system really work on a lot and i think we need to look at it in that way as well with housing mm. yeah and i guess there's an issue of there's a comfort in familiarity too isn't there so if you're familiar with those four walls as much as for most of us that would just be horrendous um if you know the rules then you're probably it's your comfort zone there. yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and and as you say you need you don't really think about it actually but you're you're absolutely right if, even if you've got your own home that in itself doesn't guarantee security does it yeah. um because as you say you need to ensure that it's maintained you need to have the funding for that you need to you know, have chairs and tables and food um, and all the things that perhaps if that's what we've been used to we're familiar with but yeah that must be a whole massive leap yeah 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 exactly and you know and, and these people have gone a very long way to get from mm. where they were Absolutely. and to then just you know they need that ongoing support really you know they've been in some really bad places some really bad situations and it's often very overwhelming when you're given mm -hmm. that that property you know you you've taken on board so much to get to where you are it, it's a it's a dangerous place to, to then suddenly be again mm -hmm. um, and to be overwhelmed and you know mental health is a massive problem at the moment yeah. uh, and again a yeah, very yeah. unresourced area so if, if people want to get in touch with you, and I'm thinking here, maybe there, there might be those who want to volunteer or help in some way, or of course, there might be others who are thinking from a need perspective. Mm -hmm. What's the best way of doing that? Yeah, the best way is either by telephone or email to us. Um, you know, we're, we're always happy to take that 
like I say, we are in the in the building sort of uh, six days a week. So there is somebody here face to face, um, but you know, it, it's best probably to email or telephone so that we can give you the correct advice and help at, at um, any occasion. And could you just give us those? Would that so be the, okay? uh, the telephone number is 01284 754 964 or by email info at gatehouse.org.uk. We have a website www.gatehouse.org.uk and also um, Home Store and Food Bank on the Facebook pages. Yeah, well, it, that's fantastic for uh, just giving us your time to tell us about what you do. But what just came out towards the tail end there is, is actually there might be people who've got skills of sitting down, helping, filling out forms or can just guide people through budgeting. Um, and they might just think, well, that's an absolutely no purpose, but maybe giving yeah. an hour a week or yeah, a couple of hours a month could help you no end. That's it. I mean, you know, you, you may have hidden skills there that you, you don't necessarily know you have and, and they're some of the most important, really. So, um, yeah, please do get in touch if you feel you can help. Well, thank you so much for giving us some background to how you got involved with, with Gatehouse, but also the incredible work that it does, as you say, throughout a number of counties, but obviously focus on very Edmonds. But, um, yeah, incredible. It's such an amazing range of uh, needs but just really impressed by how you listen out for where those needs are and try to get onto them as soon as you can thank you thank you so much for listening to today's suffolk money podcast supported by kingsfleet please do subscribe so that you're always notified when a new podcast becomes available. And if you wouldn't mind giving us a five-star rating, it will mean that other people will be able to find out about what we do. I'm very grateful to Amanda Bloomfield, Chief Executive of the Gatehouse Charity in Bury St Edmunds, for talking through the work that they do. It really is quite enlightening to find an organisation that uh, works in such a positive way within its community, but so looks to work with other groups um, and move away when they can feel as though other people can do that work better. So they're really uh, amazing initiatives, as well as looking to try and find other ways that they can help other people in the community. So thank you to Amanda for giving us her time and story. As always, I just want to say a big thank you to the team that puts this together. I just have the privilege of just asking a few questions, but uh, all the others do all the hard work. So I'm very grateful to Sally Birch for booking our speakers, Kevin Birch for his skills in uh, producing the finished article by editing and ensuring that the audio is appropriate. And also to Joy Day, who works on our uh, online presence to make sure that everything is uploaded and is up to date and I'm really grateful to all three of them for what they do. Please do join us next time on the Suffolk Money podcast where we'll bring you another fascinating story uh, from Suffolk about how people either spend, save or give within the county.